Good morning, everybody. Hey, it's great to see you today. It's good to see you today. Thank you for being out on a windy, windy day. We turned the corner off of Highway 3 and onto N65, and the back end of my car swung out on me pretty good. It was fun. Joan didn't think it that way. She thought there should have been more caution. It's kind of like the fourth turn at Daytona. You just let it hang out there. <laughs> Amen. Sure good to see you folks today. And you know, I think if we have some guests here today, and we probably do, I sure, I, I want you to do this. This is so very important to us. We'd like you to take a little connection card that's right, uh, most likely right in front of you. Complete that, and when we receive the offering, put it in there. And if you have some prayer needs, and this is for anybody, uh, write those needs out because we're very diligent about praying for those things and, and sharing them with our elder board and things like that. We want you to, we want you, we want to be able to make a connection uh, with you, and we hope you'll allow us to do that. And the connection cards is a good way to do it. And so, anyway, but we welcome you. We're so glad that you're in the house of the Lord. We had a good service last night at LifeGate. Attendance was off just a touch, but uh, an excellent response. Five people lifted their hand because they wanted to know Christ, wanted him to be the savior of their life, and so I'm thankful for that. And uh, we'll begin the follow-up process on that too. So we're glad, uh, we're glad for what God is doing. I'm gonna read a passage from Isaiah chapter 40 in which part of this is going to be very familiar to you. So would you stand as we read from the Word of God, God's Word, the Bible. It says in verse 27, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my, my just claim is passed over by my God. In other words, the people are saying, Lord, I prayed, and you ignored my prayer. And... Um, Isaiah is going to give an answer to this. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and those who have no might. He increases their strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, and they will run and not, grow, and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. I think God is saying here, there are sometimes as we pray, we pray, but we also pray with patience because God is not unaware of our need. He is not unaware of our situation and he's strong, he's mighty, and he certainly did hear us. And it's up to him on his timing as to how he deals with us. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for today, and we thank you for this opportunity on this Lord's Day to be able to come into the house of God, to be able to be a part of the worship experience here at Faith Community Church. And we're so thankful for one another. We're thankful for the person to the right and to the left of us. We're glad that they are a part of the body of Christ. Father, we're thankful for each person and how valuable they are to you and how you love them and how you want to express that love in many different ways. Father, I pray today, allow our worship to be truly 
worship unto the King of glory. Father, I pray that today that we will hear properly from the Word of God, and this Word is going to touch our lives. It's going to, it's going to intensify our love for Christ. And so, Father, we, we pray today that good things are going to emerge from this service, and, and you're going to do life changes here today. In the next hour, we believe that the power of the Holy Spirit is going to become so evident that, that you're going to touch us with your presence, with your power, with your great grace. Father, we lift up those today that are not here today, that for whatever reason that might be, we pray that you will bless them. We pray for those people who are battling sicknesses and, and disease. We pray that, Lord, that you will personally attack that disease and cure that sickness. We ask in the name of Jesus, Father, that you would be glorified in these things that you and only you can do. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 18. In 1 Kings chapter 18, one of the, one of the incredible moments of the, um, of the entire Old Testament, and in fact of the entire Bible. Just a very special moment. I call it a power encounter with God, and that indeed is exactly what it was, and it can still be today for us. I'm going to read, um, actually I'm going to read one verse uh, in, in chapter 18, verse 21, and then read my text, because I think this one verse begins to help set the stage for what is going on here. The prophet's name is Elijah. Without a question, Elijah was one of the most powerful, one of the most colorful prophets that you're going to find throughout anywhere in the Bible. This guy just simply had it going. And uh, just, just did amazing things. He was a man greatly uh, used of God. In fact, he was a man that, when Jesus went on top of what we call the Mount of Transfiguration, he was there with Moses to be able to greet Christ. Elijah. Listen to how this begins. And Elijah came before the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? You see, at this point of the, the whole thing, Israel had drifted into sin. They had drifted in, some of them even into idolatry, many of them. Uh, and they were just very careless about God, careless in their worship, all kinds of things, just lackadaisical, just, uh, you know, just... Uh, they just didn't care. And they weren't sure about God. Mainly because they had drifted so far from God, they weren't sure about God anymore. And so listen to what Elijah says. How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And note this. The people answered him not a word. They didn't even say anything. They didn't even know what to say. And then after all of this has gone on, there is a challenge of the prophets of Baal and all of this. And, and so Elijah, you know, Elijah, like I say, is an, an amazingly colorful prophet, a prophet of great power, great strength. He says, okay, let's have it out. 
450 prophets of Baal. Let's meet on top of Mount Carmel here. We're going to have a, basically a duel. It's me against you guys. And you're going to pray to your God, and we're going to see what happens. And that's exactly what happened. They prayed to their God, and nothing was happening. They, went, they basically spent the entire day screaming and hollering and cutting themselves and jumping around. Nothing was going on. And then Elijah steps up to the plate, and we begin this in verse 30. And Elijah said to all of the people, come near to me. So all of the people came near to him, and he repaired, listen to me, he repaired the altar of God. The altar of God had become broken. And when the altar of God is broken, whether it is in the church or whether it is personal in our lives, you're going to have problems. The altar of God is broken. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two sayas of seed. And he put in the wood in order, cut the bowl in pieces and laid it on the wood and said, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And then he said, do it a third time. That's 12. Some of your versions may say barrels of water. These were large containers of water. And they filled, with, they filled the trench with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. I want you to notice something. Elijah just didn't go ahead and roll out and start praying. He prayed at the evening sacrifice, the appropriate time that God says, I want you to pray. And so Elijah prayed. And it came to pass at the time of evening sacrifice, the prophet came near and said, notice his prayer now. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all of these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. And then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And I'll stop right there. A mighty demonstration of incredible power. And God came through. God came through for Elijah. And I believe God comes through for people today <clears throat> in this world. It kind of bothers me sometimes when people come around and say, well, listen, I prayed and God didn't do anything. And I'm not exactly sure what you're saying when you say that. Maybe that is, a, maybe that is simply a frustration on your part, and I can understand that. There's been times when I prayed, I didn't think God did anything, only to realize that much later on, God was doing something. I just simply was not aware of it. Ladies and gentlemen, I think we have come to a time in our Christian experience and in the life of the church that we serve the Lord 
no matter what. We serve the Lord whether God answers our prayer today or whether he doesn't answer it today. We have to commit ourselves. This is the Lord. We serve him. It's time to quit saying we answer not a thing because we don't know. We, we sway back and forth, back and forth like that. Stop the swaying. We serve God. We serve him no matter what. That's not the preaching that's going to get you amens all over the place. I understand that. But that's truth. And that is exactly what will get you through the kind of days that we are living in right now. That's how it works. This month, <clears throat> I'm celebrating 45 years of serving Christ. And I, I can honestly tell you, I have not regretted one day of serving the Lord. I have not stood back in my life and said, I have missed out on so much, so much fun or whatever, because I'm serving the Lord. I have never felt bound and constrained, tied up or anything like that, because I serve the Lord. I've had the happiest of life simply because we can serve the Lord. Has it all been a bed of roses? You've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. But I can honestly tell you that it has been a pleasure. It has been a joy. It has been, the, if you will, the right of your life to be able to serve God for these 45 years. I wouldn't mind God giving me another 45. kind of doubt if he's going to answer that prayer the way I see it, but uh, I'll go ahead and take, uh, take a shot at it anyway. A big part of that, a big part of my life in, in, in serving the Lord in, in those 45 years, I think a very big part of my life is that I've been able to surround myself with a very good church. I've had the privilege of living with very good preaching. My personal growth is centered on the Bible. I remember as a young Christian, just eager to serve God in whatever way that might be, and I feel like that eagerness has not ebbed away. But I remember reading my Bible just fervently, just I mean just voraciously reading large portions of it. Not that I understood what I was reading, because most of it I didn't understand. But I thought, I, I'm going to read it. I'm going to get something out of this. And all of these things. Prayer was such a huge part of my, of my Christian life and experience. Not long after I was saved, a fourth element came into, into focus. Uh, and uh, that was the altar. That was the altar. I've always loved the music. I've loved the passionate, strong, fervent preaching. But there is one thing that has always stood out, and that's the altar. The altar. The word altar appears 384 times in the Bible. That gives me a big clue right there that was important to God, too. Abraham built altars all over the, 
all over the, if you will, the Middle East. Practically every time he stopped, he built an altar. And uh, his, uh, his children also followed in a similar pattern. The altar is not just a place where we serve communion, but a place where we knelt to pray, where we knelt to repent, we knelt to ask God for our healing, we asked God for direction for our life. We knelt there because we were asking God for wisdom and, and a host of many other things that could come in there, the altar. My experience at the college at Trinity was also similar because the altar played such a, an important role in our, in our collegiate experience. I would often walk into the chapel before service would start, and I did that on purpose because I wanted to get alone. I wanted to get away from, from issues and paperwork and phone calls because I wanted to get alone with God. But I wasn't alone in that. I would enter that sanctuary of, the, of our chapel and hear a low, low tone, not of music, but of people praying every time. Some would be seated in the seats, others would be at the altars in the front, some would be prostrate across the floor and all kinds of shapes and everything else, but we were praying. I did too. Often I would begin to preach in a chapel service and there would still be people at the altar praying. And that was just fine. At the end of the service, more people at the altar. The altar. The altar was a place of personal encounter. We used to say that the ground is level at the foot of the cross, but let me tell you something. I believe it's also level at the altar of God. Time at the altar is a reminder that Jesus Christ meets every one of our needs and is worthy of our devotion. The altar represents time and space to encounter God but here's my question. And this, is, this becomes somewhat the focus of this message. Where is our altar in 2018? Where's it at? Time at the altar. How do, we, how do we and where do we meet with God in an intimate, powerful way in which God can speak into our lives? The altar has been a part of our ministry for such a long time. I have great memories of the altar. I have great memories of especially Sunday night services with a full house just much like this. And people would come to the altar, the right side, left side of the altar seemed to be designated as the teen area. I didn't have a thing to do with that, they did. 25, 35 teenagers would gather over here and pray. Then they'd start praying for one another. This side, interestingly enough, was where 30-some charter members that were in their 80s, the teenagers always beat them to the altar because they sat up front. But there's those 75 and 85-year-old people kneeling down there crying out to God. And then whatever space was left was left for everybody else. 
And we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed. And God worked. And then something wonderful began to happen. 75 and 85-year-olds would get up from prayer and walk over to 16-year-olds and start walking among them, praying. And from time to time, we would watch 16-year-olds walk over to pray with 80-year-olds. These are powerful, life-changing experiences with God. They cannot be duplicated in any other way. But it was a place of contact where God spoke into people's lives, where true ministry really was occurring in so many powerful different ways. And I love those. Prayer is not some place we go when we're in trouble, but it's a lifestyle. It's a place where we encounter the presence of God. I'm not saying that you have to come into a church to encounter the presence of God, because I believe there's a lot of people that have altars of prayer right in their own home. It could be at a kitchen table or a, or a living room couch or wherever that might be. It doesn't really matter. But we need that place where we encounter God on a faithful, regular, daily basis. Ahab the king meets Elijah. And it's interesting, he meets Elijah with these interesting words in verse 17. Let me drop back there. And it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I like that. You troubler of Israel. You're the guy that causes us trouble. You're the guy that shows up filled up with God and filled up with God's spirit and starts speaking at us about our sin and all of this. And we like our sin. We don't really want to give it up. And you keep coming and pointing your finger at us and telling us to stop and repent. You troubler of Israel. I'm not sure if that's not a bad, uh, that's probably not a bad title, if you will. When you're 100% sold out to God, you, are, you have the likelihood of being viewed as a troublemaker. And here's why. Because many are satisfied to live around the altar, but not so satisfied to live on the altar. And there is a difference in that. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 says that we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. God says, I'm not asking you to do something so wild and so out there that it's unreasonable. I'm asking you to present yourself, present your lives unto God. Elijah was calling this nation back to the altar. And without a question, this is perhaps the greatest need in all of our land is to return to the altar. The altar is the meeting place with God. That's where we meet him. That's where we encounter him. It is a place of consecration. It is a place where, where the voice of God begins to intersect into our lives, into our, into our spirit. And again, I'm talking about an altar. I'm not, again, I'm not speaking about a carved piece of wood or furniture, but a time and space carved out of our lives to encounter God. Make no mistake about this. Our culture has its share of altars. There's plenty of them out there. You don't have to look real hard to find them. 
people encounter and embrace themselves to idols of materialism, consumerism, and all kinds of other isms, and many more. The world builds these altars to establish new standards, and these standards will always be in direct opposition to God's desires. Elijah took 12 stones, <clears throat> representing the 12 tribes of Israel, and also it is also a sense of divine order here. And he builds a picture of God's people coming back to God to order their lives. Israel knew this, or I'm sorry, Elijah knew this. If he could bring Israel back to the altar and the altar back to Israel, then Israel would come back to God. He knew that. He saw that. And that was his process here. The greatest structure that needs to be built in America is not another road, another bridge, another skyscraper. The greatest structure is an altar where God's people, where people can come back to God and know God and understand God. America is not going to be great until America starts being good again. And that's a fact. It'd be very easy to create a list of sins that are plaguing America, but the greatest sin of all may very well be the sin of pride. The only way to conquer pride is through humility, and that only comes at an altar of prayer. Second Chronicles 7.14 is spoken often, if my people would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. There's some things that have to happen before God says, I will hear their prayer and heal their land. And that's dealing with pride and all of these things. In verse 32, the stones were to be whole stones with no tool lifting up because if a tool was used, that would represent a pollution to the altar. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 25, it says, if you lift up your tool upon it, you have polluted it. And I think this is what this means today. Number one, God does not want just a fragment of our life. Number two, God is not going to allow his effort to be some sort of a self-effort uh, self or allow his glory to be some kind of self-effort of our own humility. No flesh will glory in the presence of God. Now, contrary to popular opinion, and that opinion is that God will accept anything I'm willing to bring to him, that's simply not true. That is not true at all. Again, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Not just any old thing. Not just any old thing is going to do. First Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Psalm 51, verse 17 speaks it this way. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. People do not make investments into things that we don't care about. If you really care about something, you spend time pursuing it. David wanted to build an altar to God. And this is an interesting little vignette that is explained to us in 2 Samuel chapter 24. He goes to his friend Aruna, and Aruna says, knowing that David wants to build an altar, Aruna says, here, I'll give you my threshing floor 
I'm going to give you this yoke of oxen so that you can sacrifice. And you know what David said? He said, I'll not sacrifice to God that which costs me nothing. It's not a sacrifice if it costs you nothing. That's a powerful thing, isn't it? Powerful. And when it comes to the subject of prayer and some of these things, it takes time. It's a sacrifice of time. It's a sacrifice of effort. And what God wants to do, <coughs> and listening to God and hearing what God, <coughs> excuse me, might say into our lives. If we're serious about seeing a move of God, then we need to be serious about this in our, in our personal lives. It's going to cost us something. There's never going to be a fire from heaven without an investment from us. In verse 33 through 35, I think this is a big deal. <coughs> this was a time of severe drought. Understand, you know, Elijah wasn't the most popular prophet running around at that time because he's the guy that says, okay, fine, you won't listen to me. God is going to shut up the heavens for three and a half years. It didn't rain. No rain, three and a half years. So Elijah's not exactly, you know, the guy that, uh, well, we can't wait to see him. Because he's causing us all of this pain and all of this suffering and, <clears throat> and all of these things that are going on in our lives. And so getting 12 barrels of water, that was a big deal. That's a sacrifice. There is a spiritual drought all around us. And a part of that drought is a drought of dry eyes, that we do not weep for the lost, we do not weep for the sick, we do not weep for the deliverances and many other things that, that come into our lives, that cross our paths. Keep this in mind, water is a major type that we see in the, in the Old Testament of the Word of God. We need the Word of God. We need the word. Would you bring that to me? <clears throat> Thank you. This was not planned in my notes. It just sort of happened. I just got to thinking, you know. All right, it works, doesn't it? I'm glad they started bottling water. It's a good idea. Elijah then had him dig a, a deep trench around this, this altar. I, you know, like I say, Elijah's colorful. You know, it's not just enough to build an altar and put a sacrifice on it. Elijah's going to go to the next mile. I'm going to build a trench around this thing, fill it up with water, soak that sacrifice, soak that wood up. It's impossible to light this thing. Would you agree? You can take all the matches you can find in the world, and all you're going to do is burn the end of your finger. He's not going to light this. No fire is going to light this thing up. This thing is soaked. It's drenched. It's dripping wet. It's saturated. And I tell you this, cannot show up on Sunday morning and hear, and, and hear the word. You have to let it soak into your life. I've learned that over the years. That sometimes... You know, early in my, my Christian life, I was reading the Bible like you can't believe. Now I read at a little bit different pace 
because it needs to soak in. It needs to saturate my spirit, my soul. It needs to just fill up all the nooks and crannies of my mind and my heart. All of these things. And so, after everything was done, Elijah prayed a very simple prayer, just an incredibly simple prayer, and you... and. And God answered from heaven with fire. And it consumes the sacrifice. It consumed the altar. It melts the stones. It licks up the water. It eats up the dust. The whole thing. Now the people standing nearby had to make a decision. Which God are you going to serve? That seems to me like a very easy decision at this point. The God that answered by fire is the God we better start serving. And the supernatural of God, I believe, always falls on those who are willing to prepare themselves before God. We are people of the Spirit of God. We are people of the Spirit of God. And should we constantly seek the encounters with God that saves us, that restores us, that brings a healing into our lives, that transforms us. Janet, would you come back, please? I think today God calls us to construct spiritual altars, to mark the real spaces in our lives at home and at church to encounter the darkness that grows around us. It's not going to be easy because, and it won't come without a fight. You have to stand up against excuses and construct the altar. I hope you'll do this in your personal life. It must be done in the life of the church. In a world that's filled with altars that are dedicated basically in many ways to selfishness, to immorality, God is calling his people back to the altar. His call is to the Gideons. I'm not talking about the Gideons Association. I'm talking about the Gideons, the Gideon that was hiding in a wine press, but he was praying to God. And God found him, and God used him. We need to be the Gideons of a generation that's willing to meet God at an altar, whether it's hidden in the back 40 or whether it's in the front of the church or whether it's in the living room uh, couch or on the breakfast table. We find a place of prayer. We find a place of commitment so that we might be fully empowered by him and to hear from him and then to carry out whatever his will is in our lives. Folks, that's a necessity of our hour, a necessity of our day. It's critical. It's important. And I just pray, I pray that the people of Faith Community Church will take a message like this and take it to heart and say, I, I, I want to find ways to apply this in my life. You may not be the Elijah, which fire comes ripping out of heaven and burns up the kitchen table or the coffee table in the living room. But we need to be people that have listened to God, that know God, that know him, 
so that when the winds of adversity blow across our lives, and they will, we are people that are not going to be swept out of the way and swept aside. We are people that may bend, but we won't break. We'll write ourselves, mainly because the word has been in us. We've been in that relationship, that fresh relationship with God, and God has been touching our lives. So much depends on it. Amen. Amen. I want us to pray once again here before we quit today, and uh, I'd like us to I, I'd like us to pray for those people in Florida. That's cool. I cannot imagine. My, my children are all grown, but I've got grandkids. I've got a granddaughter, a little 11-year-old, that goes to school. I can't imagine saying goodbye to her and not getting to see her alive. I cannot imagine. Joan just showed me a news thing right before I stepped up here. This didn't happen in America, it happened in Russia. Some crazed nitwit with a gun shot a church up. You'll read about it when you get home. I'm so glad for our guys that are helping us with some of the safety issues around here. You don't see them often. They're here. And they're watching this service. And they're watching the parking lots. That's so important. I never thought I'd see the day. Joan and I were just commenting uh, with our kids. My daughter and granddaughter was here a little bit over the weekend. We were talking about our Alaska days. And my youngest, well, she's my oldest daughter. She, boy, were we dumb parents. Whew. We were pastoring in a neighborhood that wasn't all that great. One Sunday morning, the church was interrupted. The back door was open because we wanted to get a little fresh air in. And a gunfight starts out in the street. I mean, a gunfight. This isn't just some guy shooting a gun. And they were shooting. The cops are there. and <laughs> There was a gambling house right across the street from the church and you know we let our little girl just play with the little girl over in the apartment thing she'd run out she'd cross the street and go over there she'd walk 10 blocks to school even in the winter when there, she walked there and it was nighttime she walked home it was nighttime I can't imagine that would have never happened I wouldn't allow it. But we were, like I say, we we're dumb, stupid people. And I, I have always believed this. And in fact, I probably could find a verse in the Bible if I looked hard enough that God watches out for old people and fools. So at that stage of our life, we were falling into the fool category. So, but anyway, our world is sick. Our world has heart sick. And the only answer is Jesus Christ. You know that. You know that. Father, I pray 
this morning. I guess I pray from the safety of Palmer, Iowa, about those folks in Southern Florida, parents of high school students, middle school students that were, that were tragically killed this past week. Father, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, that you would surround those mothers and dads and even other students in that school. I pray that this would be a moment, perhaps, that could be used by you, in which you are presented as the Lord of life. Father, I pray that the unique comfort of the Holy Spirit would abide in homes and families that have been deeply affected by this tragic occurrence. Father, I pray for America today, America that's, that has a sickness, a heart sickness. Father, I pray for the power of revival, a power of your word, a power of your spirit. Let a fire would begin to move its way across our nation, to bring people back to repentance, back to an altar of God, where we turn to God, not just, in our, not just saying that in words, but saying that in our lives, speaking it to transform lives. Father, I pray for people in our church right now, right here in this place, who need the transforming power of Jesus Christ to just move upon them. Forgive them of sin. Forgive them of all of the things that sin has done in their life and bring them back to a full relationship with Jesus Christ. Father, help somebody to pray this morning and help somebody to just really call out to God and praying with me, dear Jesus, come into my life. Come into my heart. Save me from my sin. I'm sorry for this sin. And I repent of it. I don't want to sin again. I want Jesus to be the Savior and Lord of my life. I invite him into my heart to be the Lord and Savior. I believe he died for me. <clears throat> I believe Jesus rose from that dead. And I receive him as my Lord and my Savior. I'm going to live for him. Help me to do that by the power of your spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.